36. Let me ask you this question. I want you to write down something. Maybe just put down a little one-word clue for yourself. I want you to think for a moment about what kinds of things are you handling or doing or attempting right now in your life that you are most tempted to believe, I, I can't, I can't do this. Try and keep it to a short list. Um, just what, what comes to mind? I, I can't. I can't do this. And I want to answer one more question. Put some kind of a little clue for yourself in your outline there. The other question would be, what would be something that you would have a desire to do, might want to pursue, but just would feel like, I'm not able to do that. I'm just, you know, I'd like to be able to do that, but... I'm not able to do that. All right, can you hold on to those two questions? Let me get back to the end of the message here. We'll touch on those. Ezekiel 36, and I want to go back and remind us of these verses. Remember, this is God's future plan to have a people. He already had a people, but now he wants to have a people who are going to be fruitful in being his people. So that's... That's the end product that God is after here. And the reason why that day of fruitfulness is ever going to come is explained in this passage about several things, all of which God is going to do. So the emphasis in this entire series has been on God, what God's going to do so that one day there could be a people that are fruitful like he desired for them to be. Verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now, I want to race through a few points here because I want us to see something, all that God's done. We've been tracing through. If you studied the parts of the series so far, you would find each one of these has been the part. Now, first, we see God's sovereign grace. Remember, this is a people that have been wayward. This is a chosen people of God, but their history has been to go astray, to go astray, to go astray. If God's going to have a people who are going to be fruitful and faithful, it's going to be because He sovereignly decides to be gracious towards them. Not because they're ever going to earn Him being gracious toward them. He's just going to have to decide in and of His own desire. And that's what He says. Listen, take notice... Oh, house of Israel, I'm about to do this, but not for your sake am I going to do it. I'm going to do it for the sake of my own name. And you know, that's kind of a two-edged statement. I know for some that sounds like, well, that doesn't sound very endearing. Well, the difficulty is there's nothing in us that would never, that would ever give God a sense of being endeared toward us. Sin is in each one of us disqualifications in each one of us, falling short is in each one of us, waywardness is in each one of us. So if God is ever going to determine to bless us, it's going to be for something inside of Him. He says, for the sake of my own name, I'm going to act and you're going to benefit from it. And I'm going to gather you, you who are scattered in heart, 
you who have wandered into the nations, you who have rebelled against me, I'm going to gather, I'm going to bring you to this place because you know why? You would never come. If I didn't gather you, you would never come. So Ezekiel introduces us and explains to us God's sovereign grace. Then in verse 25, we're introduced to the free grace of God in his forgiveness. Verse 24, I will, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. From all your uncleannesses, from all your idols, I will cleanse you. How does any of us get rid of the guilt? How do any of us get free of the history that we have? Wrongdoing, regret. How do we get cleansed from that? Well, there's a God who in and of his own desire says, I will come and cleanse you. I I am postured towards you to be merciful towards you. Now remember, this is a people who don't deserve it, just like we're a people who don't deserve it. But God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. See, this is the day of God's great grace. And we, I want to set up something today and make sure we hear something more than what I'm saying here. You know, there's, there's in our minds this, if you've been around Christianity for a while and you've read the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have this idea that we are under law or we are under grace. We're under law and now we are under grace. And, and that's true. But I'm going to make a statement here. We'll explain it as we go. Please don't walk out. When you read it. However, being a Christian, even under grace, would be insufficient to bring about a fruitful walk. If you went from being under the law to being under grace, and that's all that took place, then a fruitful walk would still be an incapability for us. There's something more that needed to happen than just moving us from under law to under grace. Remember what grace is? Grace is is the realm of God's divine favor. It's the realm in which God, and we learn, God finds in himself his own reason to be kind towards us. It's the realm where God determines, I I am postured towards you with, with a bucket of mercy. No longer a bucket of wrath. I'm postured towards you to pour my mercy out upon you. I'm sitting at the edge of my seat, looking for every moment and opportunity to lavish my grace upon you. Based in my mercy, not based in your merit. That's the grace of God. That's the posture that you and I have as we relate to God. John Piper says, however, but forgiveness and cleansing is not enough. I need to be new. I need to be transformed. I need Life. He goes on and he says, referring to Romans chapter 6, one of the reasons sin will not rule as Lord over us while we are under grace. Remember Romans 6.14? But you are no longer under the law, but you are under grace. Therefore, sin shall no longer be your master. He says, well, one of the reasons is that while we are under grace, God is at work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So Ezekiel highlights that we are now under the grace of God, where God is postured towards us on the basis of mercy. Verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And the stony heart I will remove from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So another thing God says he's going to do is he's going to come deal with that, that old 
unresponsive heart, that heart that had no interest in God, that heart that had self-interest as its primary desire, unresponsive, hard, wouldn't be bent or shaped or molded by God. God says, I'm going to come and remove that. And then we learned a few weeks ago, a new heart I'm going to give to you. So God takes out this stony heart and he puts in a heart of flesh, one that's shapeable, one that he can write on and bring new desires into it. So for the Christian, we said a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, the new heart brings new desires. There's, there's new programming on the inside of me. It's not just that God is gracious towards me. It's that he has changed something in me. There's a new heart in me, and I actually want something different. So that Christianity is not just me ascribing to a set of rules that I don't really want those rules. No, no, no. In the Christian, the stony heart didn't want those rules, but the, the softened heart has desires now that God has written so that I'm a different person. But God's not done yet. You see, understand, all these things, is what Ezekiel said, there's coming a day. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to It's a long list. We get to this last thing in verse 26, 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So all those other things, as enormous and amazing as they are, and still there's more. Now the spirit of God, the person of God, please, I don't have time to do this, but please don't have in your mind that the Holy Spirit is a force. He is powerful, but, he, but he's not impersonal. And when you try to relate to him, as we're going to see today, you're going to need to realize you're relating to a person. So in the life that you now have, the life, the newness of life, it is a, it is a life that's lived out of relating to a person who has come to live in here. So there's something different about me in here. Gordon Fee says, Spirit people not only want to please God, but are empowered to do so. Listen, if all we did was have new want to, but no help or aid, see, that's not a good place. That's not a day of success. God said, I'm doing all these things so that I will vindicate my name through you. God's not just vindicating his name in heaven. He's vindicating his name through having a people who, in spite of their waywardness and their sin and the captivity of sin, they're going to actually demonstrate the life of God into a fallen world. God says, I will have that day. Now, if you're a Christian, the question is, has that day come? Has the day come or are we still in Ezekiel's posture waiting for the day that it will come? These things aren't going to be true about us, but somebody later on is going to have the time of their life living in these good things. Well, turn to Romans with me. Everybody's familiar with the expression, or at least you, most folks are. It's called the Roman road. It's kind of a trail of doctrine that goes through the letter to the Romans. If you've never read Ezekiel, you maybe didn't notice that the Roman road really was the paving of the Ezekiel trail. Ezekiel had already been there. He'd already said all these things. He already said it was all going to happen. Romans just explains to us, puts the pavement down on the trail that, you know, I don't know, probably I-10 or one of these interstates was the old Oregon trail or something. You know, it's, it's just, it was there already. It was being used. And it got paved, it got solidified. Well, Romans is explaining to us, really, Ezekiel. 
Right, let me just walk through your highlights there in your notes. First, man's fallen condition of sinful depravity. If you read the first couple of chapters of, of Romans, you get man's condition. He is, he is dispersed, like Ezekiel's audience. He is wayward in his heart. He's not coming back. And if God is going to gather him, it would be because God gathers him. It's not going to be because man's going to return. The condition of depravity, clearly spelled out, is the same condition that God spoke the revelation of what he was going to do to Ezekiel. It's true in Romans 1, 2, and 3. Look look in Romans 3 here, this passage. God's justification based in grace, that cleansing, forgiveness, and God relating to us graciously. Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Remember, it's the blood of Christ that cleanses us of our sins. And it is graciously God's posture to give it to us without merit. Right? What Ezekiel saw, Romans explains. Romans chapter 6. Turn over to Romans 6. Ezekiel spoke of the day when that stony heart, that old heart of ours, would be dealt with. Romans 6 describes it this way. Verse 6, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Romans 7, verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also, have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Bear fruit for God. Well, that sounds like what God was talking about when he says, I'm going to vindicate my name, and through you, this life is going to come. So Romans is explaining that God has done what Ezekiel was speaking of. The Ezekiel work is done for every Christian, for everybody in this room. Everything Ezekiel said was tr- is true for me and for you as I face my life. Look in verse, chapter 6, verse 16. The new heart that wants to obey God. Verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to life, to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Right? God has given us a new heart that actually wants to obey Him. Ezekiel saw it. Romans explains it. Now, there's one more element here that's highlighted by Ezekiel. And it's the element that that not only has there been grace, not only is there cleansing and forgiveness, not only has the old man, the stony heart, been dealt a death blow by the cross, not only has God come in and made me a new creation, but there's one more thing. The Holy Spirit is now resident in me, enabling all those things to have any meaning in my life. Right? Look in Romans here, chapter 7, verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, 
so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We serve now in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way. Now, that's great news, but quite honestly, there's something to be said for the fact that we covered this several weeks ago. There's something about us that doesn't want to learn the new way. It's all throughout the New Testament. The New Testament Christians, they wanted to stay stuck in the old way. They wanted their best effort and an external code. That's what they wanted. They gravitated towards it. They were deceived into it. People came and taught them that kind of thing and they easily gravitated toward it. And Paul had to pull them back towards the new way. Be aware. The reason why I think this series has significance for us is because we're constantly, constantly prone to trying to live the Christian life the old way. My efforts, your pressure, and some external code overlooking all the great things Ezekiel said about what formed and made the Christian life what it is. Look In Romans chapter 8, there's a, there's a corner that gets turned here in Romans. And it has to do with this new way, this, this life in the Spirit way. And it's a new and successful way. Let's just take apart a couple of verses here for a moment. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? This is the day Ezekiel saw your sins are cleansed and they're forgiven and they're washed away. There's, there's no record held against you. Now you may feel terrible about your past and, and terrible about the effect that it had on other people. Terrible about the years that you've lost. Listen, you can, you can have that unpleasantness, but you must not have condemnation. Because of that. Sometimes you have to make a distinction there. I I don't think I can escape the fact that if I've sinned in some way that's that's harmed somebody, that there's there's a sense of regret. I don't don't think the cross makes us indifferent to those things. But condemnation is the posture of God being against you because of those things. That's condemnation. And that's no longer the posture God has. For the law, listen, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This, this whole section is going to turn the corner from all this rich theology of leading us through this Ezekiel trail to the point where now it's about the, this new life in the Spirit. It's, it's the life that's going to be enabled by another life. Even, even the ESV heading says, life in the Spirit. So what we're describing now, what we're talking about now, has to do with this life lived in us, through us, by the Holy Spirit. That Ezekiel said God would not only do all the other things, but He would give us His Spirit as well. Now, interesting, verse 3. Verse 3 takes us back to Ezekiel's 
place of teaching. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God has done what the law could not do. See, there was inability. When, when Ezekiel spoke to the people of God, they were not capable. Their history was they would try and try and try to keep an external law, and then they would fail. And they'd try, and then they would fail. And they'd try, and they would fail. And that was just a cycle that they lived in. They were not capable. And historically, incapability is the recipe that gets created by trying to marry together our best efforts in God's law. Look at Gordon Fee. He says, The reason for a new covenant was the failure of the old to produce a truly meaningful righteousness. A righteousness coming from an obedient heart rather than dutiful observances. As though God's people could be identified by circumcision, the observance of days, and food laws. You know, listen, sometimes that's, that's almost what we are depending upon. You, know, you ask somebody about their belief and they want to use a denomination to explain who they are. Almost as though, well, the trinkets and trappings of that denomination, does that, that doesn't tell me anything about you. And what misses the heart, God was after a passionate heart who would love him and be passionate for him. Not mere external observance of rules. But I can't think of a better illustration. I know I'm teetering on the edge of offensiveness by saying this, but you know, church should be interesting. <laughs> I'm in Winn-Dixie the other day. It's the Lenten season, in case you didn't know. It's the Lenten season, and we are in New Orleans. So I'm in Winn-Dixie, standing in line, and two of the folks working there are having a conversation about what they've given up for Lent. And it's a young guy, upper teens maybe, and he's given up, I think it was uh, soft drinks. He's given up soft drinks. But if you could hear the way he's presenting this, he is so ticked off. I mean, he's telling this other person, I'm watching this exchange. He's very loud. Yeah, I've given up soft drinks for Lent. Man, I think he used the word, it sucks, man. This is like, I mean, he was so complaining. Like, wow. I'm, I'm sure that's honoring God. I'm sure this is a fragrant aroma to God right now, right? But listen, I grew up that way. I think I actually gave up soft drinks at some point. Um, not, not that I liked it. Not that it was something from the heart, but it was a ritual that identified me with God. Listen, that is not what God's after. That's the farthest thing in the world from what God is after. And listen, the Jews just had a little different set of stuff. They had some different food laws and some circumcision issues. He says, the Spirit promised as part of the new covenant would produce the righteousness the former covenant called for but failed to produce. See, if you and I are living this Christianity where it's, okay, now I've discovered the grace of God, and now I'm going to, by my best effort, I'm going to just do the best I can now to keep these new rules. They're not the old ones. They're not the slashing of animal throats and coming to ten. They're just different now. They're, they're reading John Piper books and going to the bookstore on the way out and going to Covenant Group this week. It's just a different set of rules and I'm going to do my best this week. I'm serious. I'm going to do my best. And you're going to fail miserably. Well, maybe you can pull it off for a little while, but you will fail. See, that's, that's what they did in the old covenant. 
It's exactly what they had in the old covenants. See, what, what you have that they did not have was the internal enablement of God. Something has changed here. There's something new on the scene that's made this different. Now, again, this is a chronic problem for Christians. Please don't excuse yourself. because, Well, see, I'm, I'm, I'm a New Testament Christian, man. The, the New Testament Christians were New Testament Christians. Right? And you still get, you know, Colossians 2, the admonition. You know, why? If you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why do you continue to submit yourself to decrees like, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, you can't go there, you can't do that. All these things have the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, but they are of no value in dealing with fleshly indulgence. These are first century Christians having to be told that. Why did the Galatians have to receive the most severe rebuke in the New Testament? Because they had begun by the Spirit, and now they were seeking to be perfected by the flesh, by the principles of the flesh, by the ideas that there are some external things to be done, and I just need to try with all my might to pull it off. Still a problem for us today. Still a problem for us. And and listen, I know I did this several weeks ago, but be careful how you're listening to what's said. I mean, I joked about picking up the book, but but some of you aren't going to pick the book up and you're going to go home guilty about it. Hey, if it ain't in your heart to pick the book up and do it, don't buy the book. Really. The last thing in the world we want you doing is this. Might as well give up. Soft drinks. Sucks. <laughs> you know, hating every second of it. How many pages I got to read today? I got to read eight because I know they're going to check at the end of the month. Did you finish the book? I feel guilty because I bought it and didn't finish it. Uh, listen, whether it's your Bible reading, whether it's your prayer time, if, if there's not a joy in my heart that wants to do this stuff, that's what needs to get fixed. Not just doing it out of mere obligation and external duty. Go back and fix the thing that's broke. Oh man, I picked this book. I love this book. Oh, it was refreshing. It was delightful because I want to know what he's talking about. I want to know this life that's in me. I'm teaching on this stuff, but I want to know this more. I don't know this enough. And so I'm, Piper, can you help me? Man, is there an insight here? I'm, I'm reading, I'm looking for something because I want to. That should be the way in which we're doing this. But I know the reality is there are many things that we're doing that we don't want to do them. And the only thing that's keeping us doing them is, I don't know, your wife threatens you or the covenant group leader threatens you, somebody threatens you, some kind of external pressure came. Well, look at this in verse 4 of Romans 8. In order. Here's why all this has happened. All this has happened in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. All this has happened so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, ultimately, ultimately, the only way the requirement of the law ever gets met, ultimately, is through the person and work of Christ. Not the New Testament Christian, but the person and work of Christ. But I find it interesting that in the same section where the person and work of Christ is being highlighted, it's those who walk according to the Spirit who will experience the fulfillment of this in their lives. This is the day of vindication. This is the day that God saw. He says, when I will have a people, 
I will do all these things in them, and they will. They will actually walk in this. Douglas Moose says, God not only provides in Christ the full completion of the law's demands for the believer, but he also sends the Spirit into the hearts of believers to empower a new obedience to his demands. Gordon Fee says, whenever Paul wrestles theologically with works of the law and justification by grace, right? The law and grace. He invariably brings in the Spirit as the key to the question. What happens to righteousness in terms of behavior if righteousness is by grace apart from the law? What's going to motivate people to do the right thing if it's no longer on the basis of law and the condemnation that comes after you fail at it? What's going to keep people in line? And invariably, the answer is the Spirit. See, New Testament Christian, be careful that we don't take the old code and just exchange it for a new code. And we're going to keep everybody in line with the new code. No, there's not a new code to be kept. There's a new life to be lived that's very, very different. And let me just make a point here. Why am I making such a big deal out of this today? Why such a highlighting of it's not sufficient for there to be an idea of there's the law and there's grace. There's law and grace. I mean, there's tons of books written. There's tons of theology on this. But my point today is it is insufficient to look at this newness of life through the lens of law and grace alone. Now, why make a deal out of that? One, because the Bible makes a big deal out of it. Two, because if all I have in my mind is that I was once under law and God was postured towards me in judgment. And now I'm under grace and God is postured towards me in mercy. Okay, and that's my theology. I once was under law and God was going to condemn me and judge me because he was highlighting my failures through the use of the law. I was falling short. There be judgment for that. Now I'm under grace and the mercy of God is being lavished upon my life and it's not based on my merit. It's based on the works of somebody else. God is postured toward me to do me good. That's great. But neither one of these touches me. It just changes the way I see God postured toward me. Now that might inspire me, but it does not empower me. See, the old covenant, all the old covenant did was it just acted like a road sign. It told you where you stood. It was, it was a sign when you drove by on the highway that said Baton Rouge, 75 miles. That's all it did. It just informed you of where you stood. It, it, was, it was like a mirror that you looked into it and immediately it kind of provided a glimpse of yourself and you kind of saw how ugly you were. But, you know, if you're on your way to Baton Rouge, the sign offers you no help in getting there, does it? It just tells you where you stand. It doesn't help you at all. You look in the mirror and you're looking particularly ugly that morning. The mirror doesn't offer any help, does it? It doesn't say, ooh, yeah, let me apply this. Let me, let me brush your hair back a little bit. The mirror just says, here's who you are. And it's done. That's it. No help. See, that's what the old covenant did. It simply told you about the righteousness of God and where you stood in proximity to it. And it was done. And if you fell short, it offered you no help at all. It wasn't there to help. Now, what happens when we take codified information, we translate it now into the New Testament, we call it grace, and we learn all these things about how God is a certain way, 
and when we hold that up to our lives, it doesn't help either. The Spirit must be given to us for us to be helped. This is why we walk in newness of life. Some Christians have simply taken the practice of my best efforts with God's ideas and, and moved them. Now it was law, now it's grace. Now it's God's good ideas about grace and my best efforts. And that's how we're walking this thing out. And there's this tendency because we're using grace buzzwords to think we're not doing what we used to do. It's still the principle of the law. An external code with my best efforts. That's not newness of life. Newness of life, Ezekiel got all the way down to the bottom and there was still one more thing that was needed. I will give you my spirit because without my spirit, you can't do this. Now let me look for a few moments here. The spirit is a source of enablement. Let's see, do I have one more heretical quote here? Grace doesn't enable me. I kind of feel like Peter right now. You know, Peter... Peter messes with your mind. I've always warned you about this. Never raise your hand. If Peter asks a question, don't ever raise your hand. I'm telling you this as your friend, okay? Peter will be doing the school of the word class coming up. If he asks a question, you can remain, keep eye contact, but don't raise your hand. Even if you think you know the answer. Even if you think you're sure of the answer. <clears throat> <clears throat> Just don't participate. I'm telling you. Grace doesn't enable me. Grace opens the door for the Spirit to enable me. My enablement is coming from a living person in me. And listen, there's a subtle element in that that just has got to get better understood by us. There's something about external words and human effort that is not the same as truth from God. And there's somebody in here with me. There's just something different about these two things. And what I can become a professional at is reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and storing up more and more ideas that are somehow out here. And then I'm going to do my best now. I'm serious about this now. I'm going to do this thing. There's something different about approaching the Christian life that way rather than seeing the truth of God that is now being enabled by the person alive inside of me. That's God's... New way of doing things. Look at this spirit as the source of enablement. Two things I want to hit, and I'm going to do this quickly. One is enabling transformation. Enabling us to become different people. Enabling us to put off sin and corruption and to put on righteousness. Remember, God said, I'm going to have a people that I'm going to vindicate my name through them. And through them is going to come the demonstration of my life. So the spirit is going to enable us to be transformed. Romans 8 Verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, this new day touches putting to death deeds of sin that have just been a part of us. Remember, we call them part of our personality, part of our lifestyle, whatever they are. The day we go to put those things to death, it's not an external code in my best effort. It is by the Spirit that we put those things to death. Galatians chapter 5. Let's touch on this one quickly.
Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. By the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. See, this is where the fight now is located. There are these resonant desires in the flesh, but there are other desires. And, and I believe both having been molded into new hearts, but also being now present by the Spirit. The Spirit has desires. And the Spirit is in each one of us if we're born again. So there are desires for the right thing inside of you. There are desires for that which glorifies God. That's why I can stand in front of all of you and say, if you'd like to come to church naked next week, by all means do so. Because if the Spirit of God is in you, there are desires by the Spirit. I'm pretty sure he's going to hang some clothing on your body. So I was safe to say that to you. You have desires in you that are the Spirit's desires. They're in you right now. No matter how much out of touch you are from them. Listen, this is true whether you agree with it, fully experience it. This is true because the Bible says it's true. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He goes on and lists the works of the flesh. And we'll maybe come back and look at that. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Right, The stony heart's been dealt with. The old man's been dealt with. With its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. See, this terminology gets used all over the New Testament. Unfortunately, unfortunately, let me highlight this. Unfortunately, the life of the Spirit in the modern church has been decimated by immaturity in the body of Christ. To where now all we're going to do is we're just going to fight about whether the gifts are for today or not and... It's it's almost as though this argument has made the Spirit's ministry taboo. And nobody wants to talk about the Spirit now. Well, I don't know how you can live the Christian life. Because as close as I can come to not being heretical, you know, if if it's not for the Holy Spirit, let me say it this way, the Father is not in you. And the Son is not in you. The only reason why the Father and the Son have influence in me is because the Spirit is in me. Otherwise, everything I know about God is old covenant lifestyle outside of me. Tell me about the Son, but I don't know Him in here. Tell me about the Father, but my spirit does not cry out, Abba, Father. That's the work of the Spirit. And see, we've wasted all of our time. It's like, oh, this is going to be a message on the Holy Spirit. And you know, we all buckle up and cover up our ears and our eyes. And, oh, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't know. I don't, who knows where this is going to What on earth has happened in the body of Christ? It's paralyzing us. I brought this other book up here. When you're done reading Finally Alive, you can pick this one up next. (laughs) Just a little casual reading. Um, This is a book by Gordon Fee called God's Empowering Presence. The Holy Spirit in the Letters of Paul. Right? Can you get a look? Can we clue in that the, that the New Testament might be about the Holy Spirit just a little? Right? Because verse after verse after verse is throwing these little caveats on the end of it saying, by the Spirit, by the Spirit. In 
and, and yet it may be that we are very much out of touch with the internal presence of the Spirit who I must learn to receive and relate to so that I may walk by the Spirit. Look in First Thessalonians chapter 4. This is wonderfully helpful. Verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. I mean, y'all want to be certain of the will of God about something in your life, right? You got all these questions. You're wondering, should we live here? Should I have taken this job? Uh, should I have bought that car? Was that the will of God? You know, we're always wondering, is this the will of God? Can you say absolutely sure this is the will of God for you, your sanctification? This is the will of God that you would go from here to being conformed more to the image of Christ as time progresses. This is the will of God. You ought to be moving along in transformation. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you, not most of you, not those of you who were raised a certain way, not those with a certain genetic makeup, none of those, each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. I'm, I'm saying this strongly, not because I'm trying to create some external pressure on your life, but I'm trying to just get the reality of this verse to shut some of our mouths. I can't. You don't understand. I just can't. I just can't stop. Okay. Verse 5. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Yay, look. Tell me you're a Gentile and there's no Holy Spirit in you and you can't. I would say, you're right. You're absolutely right. You can't. But don't tell me the God of the universe has shown up inside of you, enabling you to live a life. And then you say, ah, but I can't. You're totally wrong. You're absolutely wrong. I don't care how long you've struggled with it. This Bible verse has no conditions on it. You should know how to manage and control your own body by the Spirit. Verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Why is all this possible? Because the Holy Spirit's been given to us. If it's just a new set of rules and the same old Keith, I'm no more capable than the knuckleheads in Ezekiel of doing anything different than what they did. But that's not who I am anymore. There's been a change. Gordon Fee says, Paul's concern here is not with their conversion, but with their present experience of God's Holy Spirit, given to them by God precisely so that they might walk in holiness. Thus the Spirit is understood as the constant divine companion. That's good. By whose power one lives out holiness. The emphasis on the presentness, right? God is here, present right now with me. And indwelling, He is in me, nature of the Spirit as gift, points to effectual power, effectual power in the struggle against sin. The presence of the Spirit was not simply God's gift as an option. It's like, oh, the Spirit's there. No, it was critical. 
It's not just an option against sin, nor would he have understood the Spirit as present, but ineffectively so. To the contrary, the dynamic that makes Paul's argument against sexual impurity impossible is the experienced reality of the Spirit. Here, listen, this, this, this is food for thought. Paul simply knows nothing about an internal struggle within the human breast in which the flesh continually proves to be the greater power. That's not biblical. It's just no way. It doesn't matter. But I've been this way since I was a little boy. I was my personality. There's nothing in the Bible that trumps the Spirit of God in the life of a believer. Nothing. I can't bring my years of experience and my upbringing and how hard it was and say, you know what, that's a great truth for everybody else, but it's not true for me. It's absolutely true for me. The Bible doesn't know anything about this idea that I'm never going to get free. It doesn't know anything about it. Now, now, Fee says Paul simply knows nothing. You know, sadly, I don't know, I don't know if we're not differently informed than Paul, though. How many of you guys right now would be able to identify an issue, an area in your life that just sort of has license to stay? You know what I mean? And you know these other sins. They're sins, and they need, to, they need to be shown the door. But, you know, that area, you know, personality, it's the way I've always been. That area, it's got license to stay. And so it continues to be on the scene, affecting and dominating our lives. Listen, that idea doesn't fit the day Ezekiel saw. It doesn't fit. God saw a day when I would cleanse you, not only of your sins, he said, I cleanse you of your idols as well. It's a whole other message. What an effect, what a power. See, you can get cleansed from your idols when God deals with the heart. See, idols are issues that are in the heart. Not just practices, their desires and wants. Well, if I give you a new heart and a new spirit in you, then I can deal with your idols as well as dealing with the stuff going on in your flesh and your sin. Listen, today, right now, today, the Spirit of God is in you to enable you in that category to be different permanently. One more category of an enablement. And I want us to be prepared in our hearts. I want us to spend some time today um, ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. Seeking to receive something from God today. So in a few moments, I'm going to share with you how you can respond to that. But here's one category, enabling our transformation. The other is enabling gospel ministry through each of us. Remember, Peter mentioned this verse last week. Acts chapter 1. Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem. Don't embark on anything yet. What's going to happen to you is critical for the mission. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. This power is the enabling of the Holy Spirit. It is the power of the Spirit present in my life. It informs my transformation, but in this context, it is now informing things God will ask me to do. God will give me a mission, and that mission, you know, no matter what shape it takes in our lives, ultimately, our mission is about the advancement of the gospel. That's not the the mission of the evangelist. 
It's not the mission of the pastors. It's not the mission of the church, as though it was something different from us. It's not the mission of the alpha table leader when he happens to be sitting at the table. It is the mission of everybody who is a believer on planet Earth until Jesus takes us home. And you may do it through your job, through your role as a parent, through serving in the community. There's all kinds of ways that that's happening, but that's the governing thing about our lives. And the Spirit is in us to enable us to do that. And God even goes as far as to spell out particular ways that He would do that. How many of you guys have heard of... Let me ask you this way. How many of you guys have not heard of spiritual gifts? See your hands real quick. You can be honest. Most everybody. Just a few. Okay. There would be something in the Bible that God refers to would be spiritual gifts that would tr- simply all, only be divine enablements by the Spirit. The Spirit comes to live in you and He brings with you abilities. And He gives those abilities to you. He lives them out through you so that you have an ability to do things that you may have had some of those abilities beforehand or you may not have had some of those abilities. He will give you those abilities. Why? So that the mission of the gospel can be advanced. And then the Bible shows us a bunch of those. 1 Corinthians 12, we get a list of them. They're like words of of prophecy, uh, faith, gifts of healing, word of wisdom and knowledge, gifts of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Then you get into Romans chapter 12, you find another list, another set of divine enablements like administration and leading and exhorting, teaching, giving. Those are divine enablements by the Spirit. Ephesians 4 gives us another list of leadership gifts that are given to the church, people by God's grace enabled to serve the church in a particular capacity, all so that the church can advance the mission. But each individual receives that. And, you know, when you just look at the starting block here of the church, the explosion in Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene and begins to enable people's lives, and you have the Apostle Peter standing up with all the boldness that he didn't have just a few days earlier, this guy's a big wimp. Remember? Little girl around the fire. Aren't you with Jesus? He starts cursing so he can act like he's cool. He's not with them. You know, this guy, he's scared, and then he's disoriented. A lot of people say, well, it was the resurrection. I don't think so. I find Jesus interacting with Peter after the resurrection. He's shown himself to be alive and Peter still looks like he's in a fog. But then the Holy Spirit comes in in Acts chapter 2. And all of a sudden an enablement comes into this man's life and he fights for the microphone. And he stands in front of an audience of thousands and proclaims the gospel. What happened? What he could not do in himself, the Spirit enabled him to do. And not only enabled him, because I don't think he was against his will to do it. He had a willingness to do it. He wanted to preach that day. Whereas just a few days earlier, he wanted to run for his life and hide. New desires. New power. And you you just see this whole explosion, right? He preaches, thousands get saved. you got a problem on your hands, because you got all these people coming in town to Jerusalem to visit for a feast. A bunch of them get saved and decide, this is so effective in my life, I don't want to go home. I want to stay right here in Jerusalem. So what, what would the church do if all these people you know, came from Mardi Gras? It's kind of what Jerusalem looked like. They come to town from Mardi Gras and a revival breaks out. And thousands of people get saved. And they decide, I'm not going back to Indiana or Michigan. I've got to stay right here. God has started something in my life. And they don't have jobs. They don't have anywhere to stay. they got no food. Right. Remember Acts chapter 2? They were all selling their belongings and no man claimed as though he owned anything and they were giving their proceeds. 
You understand why they had to do that? Because there was an incredible revival that took place. What enabled people to say, hey, hey, I got a piece of property. I'll sell it. I'll sell it and give it to the church so you can support these people and help them out so they can stay right here and grow and get fed. Where did that willingness come from? The Spirit enabling believers. Enabling believers to all be together in the same place. Jews and Gentiles alike. The first century is an amazing sociological thing. You get this great hostility between Jews and Gentiles, and we would know that as black and white here in this city. And the Holy Spirit comes and brings people into incredible unity to where there's this racial healing and people are together with a bigger cause and the color of their skin or their creeds. How did that happen? The Holy Spirit enabled that. The Holy Spirit enabled Paul and Barnabas to over and over and over again put their lives on the line and be missionaries and not know where they were going, but they were going to go there anyway. And they were going to preach the gospel and chains were awaiting them and perhaps losing their lives. Why does somebody want to do that? Because there's an enabling spirit on the inside that makes a person want to do what in the natural he doesn't want to do. I love this phrase. Paul used this phrase to brag on the Macedonians once about giving. It took up this massive offering in the first century. And the Macedonians, Paul said, they gave, they gave what they were capable of and beyond they gave. Well, how do you give beyond what you're capable of? By getting abilities that are beyond your own. That's the Holy Spirit. And remember, we started today talking about you know, what we can do. Matt, go ahead and, and come. The Spirit, let me read this last line in your outline. We are enabled by the Spirit, but we are not replaced by the Spirit. We are enabled by the Spirit, but we are not replaced by the Spirit. This capacity is in us, awaiting our acting upon it. Holy Spirit is in us, but none of us have become zombies under the guidance of the Spirit. Our hands and our muscles move and go places that, that we're sort of in some dream state, kind of glazed over, and the Holy Spirit animates us without our will being involved. That, that's not how the Bible depicts this relationship of the Spirit with us. It, it's, it's as though... God has, you know, if your, life, if your life were a bank account, God has deposited millions in your account. Millions of dollars are in your account. And you may feel like, I, I, can't, I can't pay the bills. I don't have the money for that. We can't do that because we don't have the money. You know, you know how confusing that sounds to somebody outside of you who knows you have millions in your account? And yet, you know, you don't pay your light bill and you're not feeding your kids. And, well, I, I just can't. And say, I just can't. When you don't buy that thing, well, I don't have any money for that. It's like, do you understand how that doesn't make any sense? That's kind of the way Paul sounds when he talks to Christians. That doesn't make any sense, guys, because millions of dollars have been deposited into your account. You, you can pay your bills. You can meet the needs that are in your life. Yes, you can. I know sometimes the issue of the Holy Spirit touching our life is not just a matter of, you know, today I hope God calls people to Africa somehow. No, it may just be that we might need to get in touch with the fact that the Spirit enables me to live right where I am right now. Right here. 
You know, some people maybe feel like their life is not a bank account. It's more like an 18-wheeler loaded down. <laughs> and, and I guess you know, you're, you're looking like this. Loaded down 18-wheeler and here you are. Just, you know, eventually, this whole church thing, man, stinks. Well, have you thought maybe to just start the engine? I don't know. <laughs> if you walk around the front, there's this big, giant diesel engine in the front of the thing. If you start that, it will pull the load. It's designed for that. See, can, can you, right, when you started off and you answered two questions, what is it that you're handling in your life? What are you responsible for in your life? What are you carrying in your life that right now you're saying, I can't. I just, you don't understand. I just can't. The Spirit is a Spirit of enablement. If God has those things in your life, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You're going to need to believe in something bigger than you. You're going to need to be a New Testament Christian. You can't be an Old Testament Christian. You can't be your best effort with some ideas. No, you can't do that. You're right. But the Spirit is in you. Yes, you can. Maybe God's calling you to something that you're feeling like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've got the ability to do that. Listen, these guys in the first century, they didn't have a lot of these abilities until the Holy Spirit showed up in their life. And then, wow, what took place. Listen, this is the walk God invites us into. By the Spirit. Now, what I want to do today is I want to, I want to pray for folks who are needing to receive from God this morning. And I want to pray for you in a particular way, and I'm going to need a lot of help to do this. Because I, I know, you know, a lot of this is familiar, but a lot of it, maybe practically speaking, maybe it's not. You remember the story in Acts chapter 19 where Paul encounters a group of people who are disciples and he begins to tell them about the Holy Spirit and they answer him with Holy Spirit we've never even heard that there was a spirit and most everybody here has heard of the spirit but functionally maybe we're deaf Holy Spirit you say he's supposed to be doing a whole lot of stuff you know what I don't know if he's doing a lot of that in my life okay so functionally we're going I've never even heard of the spirit right Paul said John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now listen, and I don't apologize for this. Historically, if I speak on the Holy Spirit, I don't apologize for this. When the Holy Spirit touches your life, he should not be bound up on a leash. I'm not going to put him on a Pentecostal leash. I'm not going to put him on a Presbyterian leash. Okay? And the Holy Spirit comes on your life. What could emerge out of your life could be a bunch of things. You could speak in tongues and prophesy. You could be healed. Joy could come forth in your heart. Hope as God pulls back the veil and you see him in gland. gland vision and you are overwhelmed by a view of God. The Holy Spirit is, is the Spirit who illuminates Conviction could come into your life. You could begin to weep uncontrollably knowing you've wasted time. You've wasted your life. 
you're experiencing God cleansing you. Listen, when you watch God cleanse that stuff and it starts running down your feet and the muck is on the floor, I bet you there's going to be some tears as you experience that. Listen, if you lay your hands on someone and pray, any of those things can happen to somebody. Some of you today just need to come and be able to receive. It's like, Holy Spirit, you're a stranger to me. Stranger to me. I don't, I don't know you. I, I'm more like the guy who's got a code going on. I'm trying in my best effort to do this. Well, today, I, I believe the Lord wants, wants us to receive. And I need a bunch of folks to be able to pray for folks who want to come and receive. So let's stand up together. Lord, this is the day. This is the day that you saw. Lord, it's not a day that we're waiting for. Ezekiel didn't see something that we have yet to arrive on the calendar. We're here in it now. The day where all these things are true about us, God, all of them are true about us. You will put your spirit in us and cause us to walk in your statutes. There are some folks here this morning, Lord who need fresh faith to be able to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to gain control of the sin in their life. And they can do it today. There's some people here today who need to be receiving the enablement of the Holy Spirit to forgive. There's some people here today who need to stop saying with their mouth, I can't, I can't, I can't. And need to receive from you, Holy Spirit, revelation that yes, I can. I can. God, you know our lives. You know the numbers of the hairs on our heads this morning. God, would you meet with us now? Holy Spirit, you're not an idea. You're a person. You're a person roaming through this building right now. You're a person watching our lives. You're a person in in the hearts of those who are believers here today. Spirit of God, we need you to erupt in a great way in our hearts empowering, enabling us, giving us faith to respond to these truths. I come, Spirit of God, come in this place. If you're here this morning and you you need to receive by the Spirit, I'm not going to put you in a category, but you need to receive by the Holy Spirit. I want you to I want you to come out from where you are. And I want you to come down here. Because people encountered God in the Bible intentionally. Listen, don't, don't waste your life just coming in and out of meetings and knowing, yeah, and half of what you said ain't true for me, but I've been in this church a long time. I, it doesn't matter how long you've been here. What began by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by the flesh? Let God bring enablements. You begin to pursue God. Begin to open your heart to God. Holy Spirit is here. We're going to lay hands and pray for you. And I, I need folks who have been filled with the Spirit in their own life, if you would come and you'd find folks to pray for. Right? Everybody should be seeking. God, I'm either up here to receive or I'm here to minister to somebody. But there's some folks' lives that need to be receiving today. You begin to pursue God. The Holy Spirit's here, whether there's a hand on your shoulder or not. He is in you. Lord, thank you for your presence. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we are not a group of people with sincere intentions and some rule book. Lord, thank you that it's more than that. God, thank you that you are postured towards us in grace. You are leaning over with buckets of mercy right now. Lord, in this altar, there are folks who feel like they have wandered so far from you that they're off the radar. 
But God, they're here right now because they never were off the radar. And you never stopped pursuing them. And you ran them down to bring them to this point. To deal and work in their lives. God, today, Holy Spirit, today, today, be who you had desired to be. God, fulfill your intentions. Vindicate your name, O God, that through your people you would have a fruitful people who would bear forth the fruit of the Spirit. God, let this be a place dripping with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Lord, that's the fruit of your presence and you're here with us and you are in us, oh God. Begin to minister in a deeper way in these hearts as we lay hands on folks. God, impart by the Spirit into their lives. I need some more folks to come pray. Come pray with these guys.
What can I do? 